The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. for you today that uh that could literally change your life if you would just do this and and i know we're into technology and stuff and maybe you can take notes on your phone but if you have an old-fashioned piece of paper and pen there's going to be some real things that you can use from this message like i personally believe that what you learn in this place you should be able to use the next day you should be able to use in the next conversation you have when you walk out of the door and so my message today is entitled how to succeed through failure. How to succeed through failure. Question, how many of you want to become all that God's created you to be? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good because did you know that that's God's desire for you as well? And God actually guarantees something along that path. Along the way, he says you will inevitably, right? You will encounter unexpected delays, setbacks, and Jesus says, trouble, John 16, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. Everyone say peace. peace. Okay, but in this world, you're gonna have trouble. Everyone say trouble. trouble. He goes on to say, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, as we talk about following God, as we talk about building a business as a believer, as we talk about raising children as a Christian, as we talk about adjusting to maybe an empty nester lifestyle, right? I mean, talk about honoring God in a really, really mean culture in the middle of a pandemic, so they say. <laughs> okay, as we walk through these things, right, you and I are gonna encounter trouble. Yeah. We're gonna encounter issues. And you know, a lot of times, you know, you, we, we come in and we're like, we want things to encourage us, we want things to, be, to lift us, and I think that's all great. But I think we need some things that help empower us to be ready for those moments. Just like I practiced getting ready for that teenage boy. I believe you and I in these environments, when we open up God's word, we practice for what will inevitably come at us in our life. What if I told you that the key to your greatest success will be found in how you deal with your greatest failures? Not just for them, but for us as Christians. You know, as I followed Christ for it's almost 27 years now, I, I can tell you I haven't always made the right decisions, far from it. All right, I can tell you that the thing I have a greater understanding of more than success, more, more than even just circumstances and, and where I live, what I do, I, I'm well acquainted with failure. And I can tell you of all the secret sauces to anything we do as Christians, your ability to navigate through failure is perhaps one of the best ones. One of the reasons I absolutely love history. I love studying history. I have a bachelor's degree. It took my wife two years to get hers. It took me a eight, six or eight, six to eight. Depends on who you ask, the registrar. Um, but I have a bachelor's degree in history. I love studying history. I love teaching people. Um, and, and one of the things I love about history is you can literally look back and you can avoid mistakes when you look at history. Uh, the best experience is someone else's. And everybody in here with gray hair said amen. amen. It's true. It's true. Did you know the Bible's the same way? You know, I think a lot of times we think of the Bible as like this compilation of these stories about superheroes. You know, you, you just kind of see, man, these, these people, just, they look greater than life. You know, when we read a chapter in the Bible, 
we think, wow, man, Joseph went from this to the this, and wow, Gideon did this to this, and we don't realize that as we're flipping that page, we're flipping days, months, years, and decades. You see, they didn't live it the same way. Uh, They lived it the same way you and I did, although we're reading it here. And you know, when I read the Bible, I don't actually see a bunch of heroes. I see one hero. Consider this for just a minute, some people in the Bible. If you're in here and you're kind of down, you're like, we're talking about failure, man, I have a lot of failure. Like, it's huge. Like, I think, I think, pastor, I'm the biggest failure in this whole room. I want to encourage you. Think about the people in the Bible. Noah drank too much. Jonah ran from God. Rahab was a prostitute. Martha constantly worried. Abraham was a liar, not just once, but on multiple occasions. The disciples abandoned Jesus at his darkest hour. David had an affair with his best friend's wife and then to cover it, killed him. The Samaritan woman found love in all the wrong places. Gideon was a coward. Elijah was suicidal on at least one occasion. Samson did not know how to pick the right ladies. Okay, Paul literally was a murderer and persecutor of the church to whom you and I read two-thirds of his literature. Now, now, take a deep breath in. Let it out. Listen, you know what Grace says? Grace says you're not as good as you think you are, but you're not as bad either. We have to be able to manage that in failure. And I want to teach you how to do that today. The reality is God's perfect. We're not, not even close. Sometimes we're going to blow it. Sometimes we're going to fail. Today, I'm going to give you three Three threes. I like threes, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you three reasons we fail because I believe you can navigate these reasons. Like you can fail less, <laughs> right? I think we need to talk about when we fail, what are three stages of failure and how can we navigate through them. And I'm going to give you three really, really practical steps to whenever you fail, no matter how bad it is, you can fail forward if you'll follow these three steps. So today we're going to take a look at a guy, we're going to actually, first let's talk about three reasons that we fail. I want you to think about failure uh, like a traffic accident. Be honest, how many of you, you or your wife has been in an accident? Okay, and you know what happens. Somebody shows up, a fender bender, and the first thing the police officer tries to do is establish whose fault is it. Did you know that many times you and I as believers, we fail uh, for, for really three reasons. The first reason is we're at fault. You have that, we, we caused the accident. We caused the issue. Usually, not usually, every single time. Okay, it's because we choose our way over God's way. We choose our feelings over what the word of God tells us. And as a result, you and I, through all fault of our own, we suffer harm and we fail. Sometimes though, it may not be as, comp- it may not be as simple as that. It's a little more complicated. Sometimes, not only maybe we are at fault, but mixed in that, others are at fault because of the decisions of someone else, the sin of another person. As you know, you and I can experience failure. Usually those situations aren't black and white. We have some stuff to own and they have some stuff to own, but nonetheless, we experience failure. The next is no one's at fault. No one's at fault. Do you know there's sometimes, uh, we live in a broken, sinful world. It's fallen, things happen, trouble comes. It's not really anyone's fault or it could actually be the the devil's fault attacking your life. I think a lot of times, like we kind of just assume some of the things we go to as go through as Christians has no, have, have, it has nothing to do with our enemy. And however, y'all know, like our enemy never stops thinking about us. Our enemy never stops. The Bible calls him like a, he's prowling. He's always looking for an opportunity to slide in that lie. He's always looking for an opportunity to cause trouble. To cause trouble. Those are three reasons we fail. Today, we're going to take a look in Scripture. Uh, by, uh, we're going to talk about a guy named Peter. Maybe you know his story. 
he was no stranger to failure. <laughs> I actually relate to Peter in the Bible more than probably any other of Jesus' disciples. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle. He's actually a powerful picture. You can see this process of walking through failure. You can actually see it in every story in the Bible, but I think it's really pronounced in Peter's. Peter's the guy who in Matthew 16 declared that Jesus was the Messiah, only to be rebuked by Jesus just moments later for attempting to keep him from the cross. <laughs> Peter's the disciple who was also bold enough in Matthew 14 to step out of the boat and the walk on water, only to get distracted and fearful of the storm around him, Jesus reached down and grabbed him. And we give him a hard time for that, but he was the only one that got the boat. Okay, so he was less scared than all those other people. Okay, I'm just saying, right? But perhaps the failure he's most famous for is the one where, you know, he goes to Jesus, says, Jesus, I will never deny you. And he says, mm, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter goes, no, you don't know me, Lord. How many times do you do that to God? <laughs> no, Lord, no, you don't know me. Man, I've been working out. <laughs> man, you don't know me, man, I'm prepared. God knew, God knew him. And Jesus said, okay, well, we'll see. We'll see who's right. Obviously, we know Jesus was right. We see this failure in Luke twenty-two, sixty. Peter replies, this is the third time he was asked, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking this third time, this is powerful, the rooster crowed just like Jesus said it would. And in that moment, verse 61, this actually isn't recorded in a couple other places, but Luke, who was a physician, high detail, he saw that this is recorded in Luke. He records this. He says, in that moment, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Think about that for a minute. Likely Jesus was being flogged. They would try to coerce statements, get him to admit things that weren't true and you know, testing him by beating him. They was likely getting beat up. But in the moment that Peter denies him the third time, the rooster crows and their eyes lock. There's a moment we're walking, life's going good, everything's working out. And then, man, we just blow it. This is that moment. And you know what? We blow it and we know we blew it. We knew something was wrong. No matter how much we justify, we knew in that moment we failed. And we knew that when we go home at night, I may be able to explain it off to this person or to that person or for this situation. But when we're alone, we're face to face, eye to eye with the Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts us. We knew it was wrong. The first stage of failure is what I'm going to call the moment. It's this moment where we know we failed miserably. It's whatever happened. Peter failed Nobody, he never thought he would have failed at this level. I think even reading his story, you would have thought, I mean, you've seen Jesus turn water into wine. You've seen Jesus do all these miracles. You've seen him raise people from the dead. Like, no, you won't. We would have been on Peter's side. We would have said, no, 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 Peter has a reputation for this thing, right? And yet he fails. In that moment, their eyes met. The pressures of life came on Peter. He failed, he denies Jesus. Maybe you can relate to Peter. Maybe you crossed a line in a relationship. Maybe you did something recently you're ashamed of. Perhaps you were caught in a web of sin. Maybe you crumbled under pressure. Maybe you made a bad choice and now you're living with the consequences of that choice. Maybe you felt like you were, you, you've let down your family, your loved ones. Maybe you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. This stage, while very important, it's, it's even more important we don't stay here very long. Because here's what happens. When you stay in the moment, your failure becomes who you are, not what you did. And so for many of us, we're stuck in this moment. We just can't get past this moment. For me, it's like every time I lose, I, I leave my car keys or I lose my keys or I lock myself out of my car, I do that. Right? I have a checklist for everything except for where I put my keys. 
And I just, I just go, so I circle, I circle. Why did I do that? Stupid, why did I do that? Why did I do that? And Kylie's just like, move on. The kids gotta go to school, <laughs> right? But we do that. We can get, we can, in that moment of failure, we can just get so fixated in that moment that we don't move through it and it defines us. We see here that Peter straight up failed, but he did move to another part, another stage of failure. He moved to the pain. He moved from the moment where he let Jesus down. He moves to the pain in Luke twenty two sixty two. I love Luke. I love the Gospel of Luke. It's like the longest too. But you read the Gospel of Luke. He also it used to be called Luke Acts. He also wrote the book of Acts. So that was separated, you know. But it's all one, one, one book originally. And he just has so much detail. There's so much detail. I, I want to encourage you to, maybe you're new to reading the Bible. I don't know how to say this for, but you read like one gospel and you kind of think, well, that detail wasn't there or whatever. You got to look at these gospel writers as they're like kind of like on a beach ball and they're standing in their own perspective. The beach ball is the truth. It's what happened, but they're all giving a different perspective of, of what happened. And I think Luke gives us really, really high detail. I'm married to a doctor, so I, she doesn't forget no detail. Let me tell you. But anyways, you're moving on. She's not here, so that's okay. Don't have to chuckle. She's not here. Okay, but here he says, he went outside in Luke 22 and wept bitterly. Look at the words that Luke uses to describe this failure. It wasn't just like, man, I'm sorry, dude. You know, it wasn't just like this casual thing where, I, you, I'll, you know, he just got over it fast. He didn't. He wept bitterly. It's often after we fail, this word's important, that we get bitter with God, bitter with others, bitter with life, or bitter with ourselves. You see, the pain, if we're not careful, can do the opposite of what God wants to use it to do. We see this process. I call it the doom loop. There's a doom loop. I had too many slides, so I'm not going to use any more slides. But there's kind of three parts to this doom loop of failure that we can find ourselves in. We see it in the very first creation story. Adam and Eve sin. Okay, it really wasn't about an apple. It was about trusting their own way instead of God's way. It really was. They exercised their choice to walk away from God. Okay, so they walk away from God and they immediately felt guilt as they should have. <laughs> they did something wrong, right? What does it say? They hid. But then it says, then they realized they were naked and they covered themselves. And when confronted by God, they then blamed. So there's the cycle. At guilt, instead of taking it to God, we fall into shame and then we blame. I mean, some of us were the hardest critic of ourselves. Some of us were the hardest cri- critic of others. Some of us were really, really hard on God. We get to the pain part and we just go, why? By the way, this is what defines this, this why, Lord. Why me? Why now? Why did this happen? Why, why, why? You see, the enemy here in Peter's story is trying to get his focus off of God and onto why. And by the way, you're always the center of your why. God's almost never the center of a real why. Because you wouldn't stay there very long. If God was the center, you'd go, well, God, you know what's best. I'm going to keep moving but you're always the sinner. And that's what started to happen. The pain crushes in and it puts him into this, into this, I'm gonna just focus on the pain. And here's the problem with this stage. Whatever you stare at continually, you become full of. So the problem in this stage, what that pain, right, ends up be, be, becoming visceral, becomes a part of you, you keep staring at it and all of a sudden it paints every other thing in your life. And boy, do we know some people like that in our world. This is why Jesus tells believers that before the sun goes down on your anger, get it right. If you're offering, by the way, worship was, wow. I was just like, I don't think I can measure up to that, but I'll try. All right, even if you're here on the front row on your knees offering worship to God, 
And in that moment, you remember there's something not right with you or a brother or sister. God says, you know what? I want, I want your worship, but I want something else first. Stop what you're doing and go make it right, then come back. Because here's what happens if we're not careful. What happens, and I, I see a lot of people in the church this way. Uh, this is kind of where I lean. Is what happens is we go to bed angry and we know why. But then we wake up in the next morning and the details are fuzzy. We don't really remember why. Then we keep doing it. And then we start waking up why we're angry, unhappy, unfulfilled, and we have no idea why. This is why God has given you this incredible power of reconciliation with each other. This is why it, nothing's too small. Go straight to, a matter of fact, my team, we joke, we have such a, I love this about your staff. Your staff's the same way. Our values are so similar. Super grateful that we prioritize the church and not club soccer. Just saying. Okay, I mean, just in the house of God. So, I mean, learning how to do this. And I'm gonna tell you, in the house of God, look, people come up to our church all the time and the guest, we call it the guest suite. I kind of like your name better. We're gonna copy a lot of stuff from y'all. <laughs> My staff rolls their eyes when I come back. They're like, oh, change is coming with him. <laughs> but I'll come in. But we have this guest suite and people will come in and they'll be like, pastor, that was the greatest sermon ever. And I'll go, well, I do it 200 times a year, so it should be pretty good. And so luck chuckle, oh, this place is the nicest, sweetest place. My last church, man, it really sucked. It was bad. I mean, they're mean people. I mean, let me tell you about Thelma. I mean, she'll just start going on. I'll let her finish. And finally, ma'am, listen, you just haven't ran into Thelma yet. She's here too. <laughs> or I'll be nice. And I'll think, I'll just give it six months. You see, I think sometimes, but here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the people that I walk the closest with, we've gone through some stuff. We've had to work through some stuff. I think too many times today in the body of Christ, we treat each other as, uh, as disposable. And, and you know, part of that is honestly, the greatest light we can shine to the world is how you and I work through conflict and difficult things. That's the biggest light because nobody else does it. It's so easy to unfriend someone, leave them behind, quit them. It's just, this is why this is a family, right? You know, you can't do that with family. You know, we all got some crazy family. Some of y'all, you are the crazy family. If you're wondering, I don't, well, you're definitely the crazy family. <laughs> it's, the power of the it's the power of the church. It's the power of the church. So the pain, the pain. How do we got to move from the pain? We've got to move from the pain. We've got to stop asking why, and we have to pivot to God, let God keep the why, and we have to pivot to what's next. That's so important because at this question, we get to the purpose. And so many people, we get bound up on the moment, stuck on the moment, we get stuck in the pain. We let it define us. We never actually get to experience the purpose. By the way, there is purpose in your pain. It's a promise. And Jesus goes through great lengths to show us how he does this after we fail with Peter. The next passage, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he encounters Peter on the shore of Galilee. Okay, he's failed. By the way, Peter just, this is what Peter did when we fail. By the way, this is what a lot of believers do sometimes when they fail. They just go back to their life before. That's what Peter did. Peter said, I was a fisherman before. You might remember, Jesus said, you're not going to fish for men. I mean, you're not going to fish for fish. You're going to fish for men. Yeah. Peter totally forgot about that. But you still get at fishing for fish. So he went back. And this is interesting too. I believe I've been in this region. There's not too many places this could have taken place. Uh, and so I actually believe he went back to the same place that he called Peter to begin with. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back to that for just a second. He went back to the very beginning of his story with Peter when he called him to be a disciple. Peter sees him on the shore. You know the story. He barely even gets his jacket off before he jumps in and swims forward. Then he and Jesus have this interaction. 
in John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said this the third time. He asked if he loved him. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Wow, what a different Peter. What a different Peter. He's starting to find the purpose in it. Because Peter's going to go on and establish this thing called the church that, that doesn't abide by the same rules as the world kingdom. kingdom. It's totally different. And if Peter doesn't get some of that off of him, he'll never be able to fulfill what God has for him. It's interesting. You know everything. What if our life, we just thought all of our problems, all of our, we just said, you know, God, you know it all. I loved sitting down with Christians who were always scared to like tell me something. And I love kind of just going, bro, this is by the way what I do. Okay, second of all, there's nothing you could ever say to me that would make me go, wow. I mean, I've seen it all, I've heard it all. And if I haven't, I'm gonna fake it long enough and we're gonna be just fine. Like we're gonna get through it. Whatever it is, by the way, everything that's dark in your life grows in secret. It's hidden. It's light. Jesus is actually working in Peter right now to shine some light and to make some connections. You know, the thing is, sometimes in a message, 30 minutes, maybe 35 or 40, I don't know how long I got. I got some time. Okay, sometimes in a message, we don't connect all the dots. We need to actually walk it out in our life. Another value of Christian relationships. But anyways, he was, he was burdened by this, he said. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus reminded him what he called him to do. By the way, go back to, if you love me, what will you do? You'll keep my commands. What was his command to Peter? You're gonna feed my sheep. You're not gonna fish for these fish. Why are you fishing for these fish? God brings you back after failure if you allow him to your purpose. And I'll just tell you from a lot of failures, I'm always stronger on the other side. I'm always stronger. I, I, you know, I was thinking about this last year. You know, COVID was really hard. Imagine being a pastor of a church, okay? And then your wife is literally taking care of the sickest COVID patients in the hospital, right? Imagine that for just a second. We literally had both extremes. I mean, trying to figure that out. And I'm gonna tell you, I would never, ever, ever wish COVID on anyone, I would never want to go through last year under any circumstances, but I'll tell you, God did some things in me last year. God stripped away some things in my life that were unnecessary. Do you know what I found was really, really necessary? His word and his family. You see, a lot of times we talk about being born again as a son or daughter of God, but what we miss is that when we're born, we're not just born, we're born into a family. And so what if, what if, just crazy, what if God wanted to do something in you and his family so he could do something through you to the world? Just think about that for just a minute because I think sometimes this helps us with our pain, right? It's all different. I don't know everyone's pain in here, but it helps us kind of go, okay, how many of y'all know you can push through something difficult if you know like it's gonna lead to something better? All right, I think some of us, if we don't navigate these stages right, we get stuck at the moment, stuck in the pain, and we can't see the future. And here's the thing about the past. You can't, uh, you can't, it's like eggs. You can't unscramble it. It's there. By the way, you're never there again. You do realize that only God is omniscient, all-knowing. Only God is omnipresent. Only God is omnipotent, all-powerful, everywhere at once, all-knowing. 
That's where the word science comes from, omniscience. He's all knowledge. Everything we know in science is a manifestation of God's wisdom and knowledge. Okay, so, so just imagine you're not God for just a minute. I know it's hard. Just imagine. Go there with me. So God's all three places at once, but you're only one place at once. You're only in the present. So here's what God does if you'll let him do it. He redeems your past as you process through while he's preparing you for your future. In the present, it's really, really simple. You wanna know what it is? Just don't quit. (laughs) Just keep standing up. Just keep moving forward. We see this incredible process. You know, the enemy loves to come in at our weak moments and say things like, oh, you know, you see, God can't use you anymore. The longer I walk in life, the more I do not believe in the word disqualified as a believer. Disqualified, there's only one way you disqualify yourself. You give up on God and you quit. That's it. It's the only way. Meaning that we don't lose if we just don't quit. So in the remainder of our time, I got just a few more minutes. I want to talk to you about three really, really practical steps for wherever you're at today, wherever you're at, right? I think they'll help you navigate some of this failure. Some some of you are going, man, I'm in the best time of my life. Well, just wait. You'll need this in the future. I promise you. (laughs) Some of you, man, you're stuck. You're stuck not being able to trust people. You're stuck not being able to move forward. I mean, you're stuck. This will help you get unstuck. Three steps to failing forward. The first thing, make a change. Make a change. First thing you've got to do is you've got to acknowledge your own sin and your own part in it. Right? You've, you've, you've got to start there. After we sin, we can feel a sense of being disconnected from God. The first step to overcoming your failure failure when we sin is to return back to that place of intimacy. What did Jesus do? He called Peter back to where he started. You know, I think a lot of times, I said this last service too, it wasn't in my notes, but man, it's just how, how we can be really bad at this in the church because the very thing that saved us, the very thing that redeemed our past when we first come into the body of Christ, did you know that's the, that's the same thing that sustains you? But here's what we do. We, we, we come in by grace and then we go back to law and works. So we go back to thinking that we have to work when really the power is the same power that that changed us in the beginning is the same one that changes us over time. Does that make sense? And so we've got to come back to that. James 4, 6 says it this way, and he gives grace generously. Man, I, I, I I think we should be more generous. If God's generous with grace and he knows it all, like he knows the reasons you do things that you, you haven't even really come to grips with yet. And he still gives grace graciously. I think maybe we should too. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's so important. And in our homes, guys, I'm gonna talk to the guys about this for just a minute. I do, I do, I do believe there's a strong spiritual leadership and headship for us as men and our families. And can I just tell you, it, it doesn't look the same way as the world. The Bible says that, that you want to be the greatest, you're going to be a servant to all. We, we give our lives up for our families like Christ gives his life up for the church. That's the model. And so I, I've, just, I've accepted this in my own home. My wife is really, really smart. And I'll be honest with you, she's 99.9% right. She would say 98%, but I'm going to give her 999 and the truth of the matter is, as I've gone through my home, even as my kids, as I've walked with my kids, one of the best things you can model for them is servant leadership. One of the best things you can model for them is, is taking them through the process of their pain, letting them even at times see some of your process. Just make sure you get back to God. We've got to make a change. So many of us, we want, so I become a professional repenter in my house. 
And can I tell you, my kids thrive. I mean, we get, we get notes all the time about how they have empathy. You want to look at our culture. There's no empathy. There's no, I mean, everyone's just so mean to each other. One of the best things we can do is not worry about the White House, but worry about our house. Can I just say that? Okay, if I can't, don't worry, I'll let you clean this up. I'm, gonna be go- I'm going to lunch. I'm going to Chewy's after this, so I don't know what y'all talking about. But anyways, all right. We've got to make a change. So many of us want change without change. Change isn't possible without change. My mama used to say this. I mean, you point your finger at someone, there's three more pointing right back at you. It's true. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond. We need to learn to make a change. The next thing is we've got to move forward. Again, you can't unscramble eggs. You can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Living to rewrite the past isn't going to make your present or your future any better. You just can't rewrite it. It is there. But God does promise this in Romans 8, 28. He says, and we know that God causes everything. Everyone say everything. Everything. All of it. He didn't say the good stuff. He didn't say the little stuff, the large. Every single thing. Look what it says. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Now, this is key because we quote a lot of scripture, but there's a condition here. There's a condition to this. We love to quote it when our lives don't line up with scripture or when God's told us how to live our life. You know, we, lo- we love to quote it, like, we love to quote it on, on, on moments of, you know, uh, here's the condition. For the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Yeah. That's a big one. On. Meaning we, we want to preach, like, God's going to make it all better. I, I'll be honest with you. If, 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 <laughs> if you're not following him, right. he's not. Right. Yeah. It's not a promise. But if you're following him and you're taking steps to grow in your faith, you're making him more and more a part of your life every day, you have a promise. Paul writes to the Romans and we know this. How do you think Paul could say we know this? Paul used to kill Christians. <laughs> Paul had the past, had a crazy past. He's speaking from experience. He's saying, we know this is true. You could almost, I know this is true. Anybody who's followed Christ for more than five minutes knows this is true. Just keep walking. That's what he's saying. We've got to move forward. And I'll be honest, I, I got a little tired at this last one, but um, keep moving forward. I, that's my third one. You guys like that? You know, sometimes we want something new and fresh. You know, we say that a lot. I, I, I mentioned this again last service. Um, over the pandemic period, and I know we're still dealing with it in parts of the country, uh, in Texas, it doesn't need to exist anymore. I don't know what happened, but it's gone. But um, I, I was suspecting some small towns in Oklahoma it doesn't either. But anyways, you know, as I was going through it, God, uh, actually a mentor in my life, Stephen Posey, you know, Stephen Posey, he coaches me and, and uh, super grateful to have people in my life that love me and aren't impressed with me, but care about me. You know, people that want more for you than from you, Church is full of those people. Your pastor has those in his life. He's one of those in my life. You know, and, and, and he brought me across this prayer that I'd never even heard about. It's called the Shema prayer. And it's actually the prayer where Jesus quotes to the Pharisees what's the greatest, you know, what's the greatest thing in the word. He quotes, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Does that make sense? Breaks down that prayer. That's actually a Jewish prayer. The people listening to him would have known exactly what that prayer was. They would have quoted it at least two times a day, some three And the first word is Shema, and it means listen. It means listen. And it's interesting, I studied that over over, uh, last year, and there is no Hebrew word for obey. 
it's Shema. So it means to listen is to obey. And sometimes in our life, we think that to hear it, to consume it, is to be transformed. And so we go, I just need something more to consume. When in reality, what we need to be doing is what are all the things that we've heard, we've we've heard, but we haven't done. So it gives a lot of context to James, who's a Jew when he writes James. He's a half-brother of Jesus. It gives a lot of context when he talks about doing, because the truth is, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And, and, and we've got to keep coming back to that tenacity. We've got to keep moving forward, no matter where we are, keep pushing through. I love this passage, and I'll close with this. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, It says, The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Did you know, as long as you keep getting up, putting this word in your heart, faith comes by hearing too. You need to be in church. You need to be hearing God's word constantly because the Holy Spirit will have nothing to draw from when he reminds you when you need it the most. So, so, so what we're doing here is putting God's word in our heart. Okay, we're living God's way. And what it says here is it doesn't matter how many times we, we trip, we'll always get back up. But if we don't build our life on this truth, just one thing can knock us out. Let God's word inspire you to fail forward. When you fall, get back up. Risk it again. Don't stop. Don't be afraid to step out. Don't see your failures as roadblocks to your destiny, but as stepping stones to your success. Allow God to make the place of your greatest pain the place of your greatest purpose. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this incredible church. I thank you, Father, for kingdom relationships and friendships. I thank you, Father, for what this place is doing in this region and will continue to do. Wow, growing this last year, it's incredible. People getting saved and touched. But right now, Father, I pray for that person in here that's been stubborn. They've been stubborn in surrendering their heart and lives to Christ. They've tried it their own way. And Father, I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to the truth that they can never be all that God created them to be apart from a relationship with you and that can never happen apart from surrendering their lives to Jesus. I thank you, God, that when we open our hand and we surrender our life, you take it and you hand it back to us so much better. And right now, Father, I pray for those that haven't made that decision. I pray, Father, that they would get off the throne of their own life and they would put you on that place and that there they'd find purpose. I pray, Father, for those of us as Christians, we've struggled with pain and hurt and relationships, and I pray, God, we would keep coming. We would keep having the conversation, keep moving forward. Father, we would continue to allow the seeds of the word of God spoken to us in this place to grow up inside of us so that, Father, what you're doing in us can be a blessing to the world around us. May everything we do this week bring glory and honor to you. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.